Hey, friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivy podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I am so excited that you're here. Every week, I invite a girlfriend to join me on the show, and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Before we get going, I want to first thank Noonday Collection for sponsoring the book club this summer. And today's show is with Shauna Shanks, and she was our July book club author. We read her book, and we recorded this in my backyard. Noonday has a really great thing going on right now that you should know about. First, their newest line, which is the fall 2018 line, it just launched last week, and it is beautiful. I love the tassels, and I love the bag that says shine. I love new earrings I got. I love the feather necklace. You're going to see me wearing a lot of new things from them on Instagram these days. Second of all, they have a deal for happy hour friends that we've been talking about at the book clubs, but I wanted to let you know about it. Through the month of August, if you sign up to become an ambassador and build your own business with them, they're going to give you three free products, which happen to be some of my favorite three products. All you need to do to check that out is go to jamieivy.noondaycollection.com. Okay, friends, you are listening to episode number 153. And my guest, like I said today, is Shauna Shanks. Shauna authored the book, A Fierce Love, and it's her first book, and it was our July book club read. So we all read it through the month of July. We loved it. And then Shauna flew down from Ohio to join us in my backyard as we discussed her journey a few years ago that she was literally fighting every day for her marriage after infidelity had entered into it. We also discussed her home that she built recently out of, well, you're going to need to wait to hear what she built her home out of because we loved hearing about it when she was in my backyard. During the book club, guys, we were attacked by wasps and spiders and the heat and cats. And I just have to say, welcome to Texas. We had a great evening in my backyard. And if you're not a part of the book club, go to jamieivy.com slash book club. We have our last book club of the summer. And that is the book Steal Away Home that was written by Matt Carter and my husband, Aaron Ivey. We're going to host a book club in my backyard again at the end of this month of August. And the special guest will be my husband, Aaron, because you know, he's the only man that's allowed on the happy hour. And so it's going to be a lot of fun. Guys, thanks for joining us today. I hope you heard Crystal's interview last week. Her book just came out yesterday, and I'm a huge fan. Check it out if you didn't hear it. But first today, here is my conversation with Shauna Shanks from my backyard for the Summer Book Club. Okay, so Shauna, you have a book, A Fierce Love. First, I must tell you guys, it's a big deal. Do you feel this on the cover? Unless you got it on the Kindle, you didn't feel this. But I love your cover. And I told you that. What kind of input did you have in that? I had zero input. Really? After it was done, they said, do you like this? And there was two options. And it was that and then an option that was just kind of normal. But when I saw that, I thought, that's it's, that's it. It's so beautiful. What, you didn't tell them anything? No. That's really cool. I feel like it's really a fair description of the book, like an image of the book. Because, you know, in the book, we are talking about infidelity. And so that can be a topic that looks really you know, it's very heavy and, you know, but I don't feel like the book is heavy. And so um, for them to be able to translate the cover that way, the way that they did, I just love it. I love it too. It's so beautiful. Okay. So let's go back. Let's go all the way back to, um, I want to talk first about book writing um, because you don't get to talk about that very often, you said. I know. And I think it's really interesting. You're a first time author, which is a really, really big deal. Um, and so how did you even, let's not even talk about the content of the book. How did you even decide, A, I want to write a book. B, do I know how to write a book? And then C, I mean, believe it or not, if you want to write a book, people have to say, yes, we want your book. So tell me how that went down. Yeah, I had no idea what I was getting into. Um, and now that it's published, 
people are telling me like that was very brave. Everyone keeps calling me brave and saying that was very brave, but it didn't seem like that. It just seemed like the natural next step because I had been journaling. So no, I didn't have any, I didn't go to college for this. I didn't have any writing experience. At the end of my husband and I's journey, I had this stack of journal entries basically. And my husband had said, and other people had said like, you need to try to get that published because that's very helpful. And so I thought, okay, I'll get it published. No big deal, right? Like that's just literally how much I knew or didn't know about the publishing industry. So I started Googling it. And I mean, I literally like Google, how do I publish a book? And if you do that, if you've ever looked into it, it's incredibly daunting. And I think I probably just shut my laptop and I was like, well, it's a good idea. At least I have these journal entries to keep them. So what I learned really quickly is you have to have quite a mighty lengthy checklist of stuff that you have to do. You're supposed to have a platform. You're supposed to have experience. You're supposed to know famous people. You're supposed to, you know, have a lot of numbers on social media and um, just have this exuberant personality. And I'm just trying to raise three kids and not be dead at the end of the day, you know? So, I mean, I literally just shut the laptop and thought, well, that was a good idea, but maybe that's for someone else. And so I just sat on it for like six months and did absolutely nothing. And my best friend at the time, she was working for a website company and she was working for an author, working on an author's website. So Amy Lively, if you're listening, that was her. And she published a book called How to Love Your Neighbor Without Being Weird. And so I said, well, send her my manuscript. And because that's quirky enough, she might like what I'm doing. So um, because of her, she's the one that recommended Lisa Turkus. She Speaks Conference. So I went to that conference and you can have the option of skipping the agent, skipping the literary agent, what usually would have to take place at a conference like that. Um, I had the option of picking a publisher appointment, which I went to thinking, I don't know what I was thinking because there was several different options. And the lady that I interviewed with, my very first choice is the lady that I published with. And I really picked her because Christine Kane is one of my favorites and she published with Sonderbin. And so this is just how much I knew. I was like, that'd be really cool to be friends with Christine. <laughs> I mean, that's what I was thinking. And so out of that meeting, she took my manuscript and that was in June. And by December of that year, I was signing a contract with them based on, you know, now I have a lot of writer friends, um, like online communities and things like that. I know that that's not typical, but if that just, I like to tell that story though, because a lot of women just think like, I can't check the boxes. Maybe it's not writing for you. Maybe it's something else, but I can't check the boxes. So I'm just going to shut the computer and walk away. But really like nothing is impossible for God. And I say, we just go for it. Cause I mean, the worst that can happen is you fail and you're going to fail anyways, if you don't go for it. That's right. You're going to fail anyways if you don't go for it. I do love that. And that is very non-traditional. But I will say, I have you're not the first person I've ever heard that has like ended up at the conference like She Speaks and then ended up meeting an agent there or a publisher there and then gone that way. So that is amazing that you did that and you just went and put out your story. Now, how many years was that after where this book started? So I started writing at the end of 2013, like the very end. And I would say by... April of 2014. So it only took me four months to write the initial manuscript. And then it was probably another year before I went to the conference. And then after that, it goes through a team of editors with Sonderman. They're very thorough. They're very awesome. And it's gone through quite a journey since then. 
Okay, so what year was this that we read about? 2013. Okay. So I was writing in the middle of everything I happening. See, yes. Not what we read right here, obviously. Mm. You were writing mm -hmm. this. In fact, my, some of my first editors, I had to still go back and change, like, this is happening to, this was happening. Like, we had to actually change the present tense. And if you're here and you've read the book, one of the things that I talk about is God take me to the First Corinthians 13, love filter, love is patient, love is kind. And, you know, a lot of you are moms. And so you probably tell your kids, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. For me, like, that's where this book came from, because God had asked me to be kind and patient and not be rude. So I couldn't say anything <laughs> for several months. So I would just be journaling. So it was very therapeutic and healing for me to be writing during that season. Okay, so you were writing this while it was going on which I think is crazy. I want to talk to you about this because I don't know if any of you guys thought this when you were reading this book, but here's what I thought. You talked a lot about staying quiet, okay? And you just talked about it just now. And you said, empowered by the Holy Spirit, as I strive to reflect these words, 1 Corinthians 13, I was able to put aside my normal nature and take on one that resembled more of Christ, okay? And was anyone else reading this thinking, I don't know how you did that, and again, you just told us how because of the Holy Spirit and Jesus. And we read that. And as Christians, we can go, okay, yes, uh-huh. But let's talk in real talk. Please tell us that there were some days that this was the most difficult thing you've ever walked through. Not dealing with Micah's infidelity, but dealing with your own mouth and your own thoughts. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think this is what was so faith-building for me was to realize that if God was going to give me this impossible task, but like it seemed impossible given the circumstances of my life in that season. So it seemed to be like the hardest thing. Like, you know, before I would have thought that's the easiest thing in the world, love your husband. But in this new context of, you know, such betrayal and heartache and everything that I was facing, it was just the biggest challenge of my life. And so I think women know their own level of crazy, right? Like I certainly know mine and how I would normally respond. And my husband knew it, having been married to me for, you know, for over a decade and so I think that that's what was so faith building because I knew in this season that God was empowering me to do it. That doesn't mean that it was easy. I actually did a radio show with Jennifer Fulweiler today on XM's Catholic radio station. And we, we were talking about this and how a lot of times, you know, we give up our culture just conditions us to, you know, when it's hard, ouch, that hurt, I'm going to back away, you know. But I just really was challenged in that time. I didn't feel like God would send me to those scriptures and set me up for failure. I didn't feel like he would say, you know, this is the Bible and it's an impossible standard and you'll never attain it, but have fun trying, you know. And so I had to, this is a good point that Jennifer brought up today, like I had to kind of set aside other things that I normally do, like I had a business there was a lot of running that I did with the kids that I kind of had to settle for a little bit and just focus like, okay, today my task is to be kind. My task today is to be patient. And I think as women, you know, especially millennials, like we tend to be so driven to accomplish, accomplish, accomplish. And I just felt like, what business do I have accomplishing everything when today God called me to be nice. And until I can do that, like I need to focus on that. And if I can't say anything nice, then I'm just not going to say anything. So it was kind of elementary, but it was also something that I'd never done before. Almost like stepping back out of, you know, the rat race and just trying to strive for obedience. Which is what he was asking you to do. Would you say, had this all gone the different way, like had this not worked out this way, would you still be able to stand here and say, God, you were still faithful by asking me to do that anyways? Because when God asks you to do something, honestly, and this is a hard word, 
but I feel like it's none of my business what the outcome is because I don't know the future. But when he tasks us to do something, it's our business to be obedient. And, you know, I've had friends who we kind of walked similar paths and similar seasons and some of their marriages ended in divorce. But the bottom line is they had their own obedience to follow. And I think that as Christians, you know, one of the messages that I like to talk about is that, you know, before this happened, like I would have gone to the pastor, like, what do you want me to do? Or, you know, to a friend or a mentor, like, what do you want me to do? But in that first night of desperation, when I called out to God, like I heard him, like he told me to hope and endure my marriage. And I felt like it would have been easier to just not have heard him (laughs) sometimes. And so that's my point is, and I do talk about this a lot in the book that the outcome is none of my business. My business is being obedient regardless. And I found that God is not afraid to ask us to do hard things. (laughs) And I think a lot of times the trial is just to bring out our character and it's a character building, you know, like the Israelites wandering in the desert for 40 years. Now, was that necessary? Probably not. But was it character building? Yeah. And it was God's whole design and plan is to get them where they needed to be. Okay, so I really liked, I read this and you made a good point when you said that if we're moms, and this may have happened to some of you in here, you may be this person, this child, but what links would I go to to pursue my kids? You know, and so I read that just recently, I think it was towards the end when you talked about what links would we go to to pursue our kids if they were walking away from the faith, from our family, if they were just pulling away, Right. I would go to any length to like pursue my kids, right? And you made a point in the book, you're like, we should take that same idea and that same thought and say, I would go to any lengths, pursue my marriage and my husband. Because I think sometimes you can kind of differentiate them just a little bit. I thought that was such a really good point. And I don't know if someone told that to you or if you found that realization through your journey. How did, how did I mean, you come up with I think I that? found it through my journey because I had always just assumed, not that I thought about, you know, infidelity or anything in our marriage, but I had just assumed that if that ever happened, there's the door. Don't let it hit you on the way out. And I'd never really known a fierceness that I learned through this journey. And I knew that that was coming from the Lord. And I knew that, you know, I taught kids for years in church and kids learn by object lessons, you know, and I felt like this whole journey of me pursuing my husband was this just giant object lesson that the Lord was trying to tell me like, this is how much I love you. This is how much I fight for you. This is how much, this is how much grace there is and cushion for your failure. Um, that when you fall, like I will still pursue you and I love you so much. Okay. So when I first realized what this book was about after I looked it up and everything. I was very interested to see, is this whole book just going to be one big story about how my husband cheated on me and we ended up together, right? I don't know if you assumed that too when you picked it up, but I felt you had this underlying message about what the suffering in your marriage created in you. And I don't know if you guys listened to the episode with Jamie Nato probably about a year and a half ago. It was one of my most favorite episodes ever because... If you've heard me say this, I'm sorry, but it's worth saying again. When I invited her on the show, I had just been reading her blog. And the whole time I thought that she was the one that had an affair on her husband. Okay. But then she gets on my show and literally I'd done my research. I've been reading her blog. Like it wasn't like I showed up without knowing anything. And I did not know until our interview that it was her husband that had an affair. And the reason I say that is because she talks so much about what God showed her through what they walked through and how she needed to change and follow him. And in fact, I'm going to say this right here that you said. You said, my downfall, what doomed my marriage, my biggest disaster was not just the busyness of life or even that I settled for the mundane. It was that in my heart, I was not fully committed to God. I had wondered from my creator. I had become satisfied apart from him. Then when my husband became satisfied apart from me, it doomed our marriage. 
And you're basically saying, in a way, you you definitely didn't cause your husband to have an affair by any means. But you never said, I take zero responsibility for our marriage crumbling down. Yeah, you don't say that. Was that hard for you to think about and come to? No, and I think, honestly, like, it was just such a grace that God had given me to put this giant spotlight on myself. Because if I would have focused on what he was doing, where he was, you know, what was he thinking about me and, like, all the bad things that he was doing, had I stayed focused on that, I would have went crazy. Because I have no control over what someone else is doing, whether it's my husband, my kids, someone else. And as women, like, we want to control things. I want to control things. I would like for people to just do what I say. I agree. When I say it yesterday, please. So I think that that would have made me crazy. But again, that kind of went back to that, like God nicely and not nicely telling me, like, that's none of your business. What is your business is I'm shining this giant spotlight on you and you're not perfect. Like maybe I'm not having an affair, but I can't change that. But what I can change is this. And that's why I felt like that was so liberating because I think that women go through this and society tells them, you know, you're the victim. So you're going to be mad and you're never going to, you know, I had one friend tell me like, well, your marriage is going to, you might make it work, but you'll never trust him again. It'll never be the same. You have the right to basically like not let him go anywhere and this kind of, and I'm thinking like, I don't want that. Like I, that's, I want God to fix this or move on. You know, I think the bottom line is that it was outside of my control to fix what anyone else was doing. You had to just worry about yourself. And it was just liberating to know that, you know. Yeah. And I like that because no matter what would have happened in the end, you really, you even say this sometimes, you, you did want your marriage to survive. For sure, 100%. You wanted, Mike, you say that a thousand times in the book. But I really got the gist that at the end of the day, what you really wanted was to love God and be closer to Him. Yeah, because I think that, well, I mean, I know that God created humans to long for Him and to be fulfilled with Him and to crave Him. And so if I come to a place of being in unity with my Creator, you know, as much as I can, like that is fulfilling. That's everything I need. So I know that I'm happy and I'm thankful for my marriage as it is today. Like I love my husband. I lo- like he is a joy to me, but he doesn't fulfill me. That's just extra. So I know that if something would happen tomorrow, like I know who I am. I know what I was created for. And I know how to get back to that little secret place. You know what I mean? That fixes everything. It's, it's not like Jerry Maguire, you complete me. <laughs> well... Very rarely is it like Hollywood says. I love talking about this with singles as too, because the truth of it is, is that your husband, my husband, all of our husbands in here, they can never fulfill us the way that Christ can. And so there was like, here's this big, like red flashing light external way that Micah had failed you. But it was just an example to you saying, hey, I really, really only can rely on Jesus. I remember when Aaron and I were early married, probably we lived in Tennessee, so we could have been married, you know, less than eight years. And I have walked through infidelity with people really close to me. So I've been hurt by it. I've seen it. I've seen what it does to families, all kinds of things. And I will never forget this as long as I die. I'll never forget this moment. I looked at Aaron and I said, if you ever cheat on me, I will leave you that moment. I will never talk to you ever again. And a lot of people would be like, yeah, you have every right to do that, right? That's exactly what you should say. And I will never forget about, I'll never, ever forget this. Aaron looked at me and he almost had tears in his eyes. And he said, you would not fight for our marriage. And I literally, my first like human instinct was like, no, remember what I said? You cheated on me. <laughs> like, no, did you hear me? Um, but his point really was, it was something I'll never forget because he was just saying, wow, you wouldn't even fight, you know? And that was so good for me to hear. Now, what we all want to know in here, in this room, and everyone that read and that's listening is, did you say, hey, Micah, I'm going to write a book about all of this stuff that we've been through? But you mentioned earlier that he told you to write about this. How do those conversations happen? Because this is like, 
hey, let's just hang our dirty laundry out for everyone to see. Yeah, which I think speaks to the amount of healing that's been done, you know. But I think that um, at the beginning, he's thinking like this woman is so hurt that she's in denial. She's saying she loves me. She's saying God told her to blah, 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 you know. And he was just waiting. He said, like, I'm waiting for your big fat bubble to burst for you to understand like what's been done. And like, she's just in this denial. Okay. And you talk a lot in here about like y'all, it was awkward and you didn't talk much. And I'm trying to imagine this. You're in the same house. You're raising your same boys. And would you really just not talk in the house? It was weird. Like, he had a cold shoulder towards you. Like you, you say that a lot. Like I can't even imagine yeah. how that house felt. <clears throat> yeah. And it's, I guess it's kind of even weird to revisit that because no, I've been doing so many interviews and no one's asked me that, but I couldn't say much because I, w- I just felt like very restricted in this love filter thing. But also Michael wanted out of the marriage. He was with someone else. So he wasn't trying to work on things. When we went to counseling, it was like, okay, but I'm not paying for it. I mean, he was just out. He was done. And so he's just living there, I think, because of logistics. Free rent. And his truck had broke down and we were sharing a car and he works nights already. So, I mean, to this day, our schedules are conflicted. So I think that because he still was in the home, like we we were there enough that he knew I wasn't acting normal. He knew that I wasn't acting right. And so he would just kind of side eye me, like waiting for is today the day that she's going to freak out and she's going to you know, she's going to act like I know that she should be acting. And so I think, you know, weeks went by and, and there were softening moments, which I talk about in the book, like some nights he would meet me on the couch and he would actually have like tender conversation with me. And then the next day we'd be back to the cold shoulder, like, don't touch me, you know, that kind of a thing. So as I'm journaling and he's just kind of not paying any attention to me at the beginning, but by the time it was done, we actually, people started coming out of the woodwork really. And people were opening up to us about their own marriage problems, people in the church, people outside of the church, people that he was friends with. And he's like, Shauna, like, I think that, you know, what God is showing you and like, this is so helpful to so many people. And so you need to write this down. Um, And actually one of his friends told me before he did, he's like, please write that down. (laughs) And so um, it just began this thing of filling a need, I guess, because so many people were, were asking and I already had it. Like I already did it anyway. And when I wrote it, like I had no intention of publishing it for the world to see. It was just journal entries and it did get edited. You know, like I said, when Zondervan picked it up, it did get edited from there, but I already had it anyways. And so it just seemed like a waste to not try to pursue something. Okay. So you talking a lot about how you didn't tell a lot of people, which I have heard someone else told me that recently, that they went through something and they didn't tell a lot of people because you all know what happens when you tell people, right? Like, let's say your girlfriend comes to you and she's dating a guy and he's a jerk and she tells you, you don't like him anymore. Like, you're done, right? You're like, you're not good enough for him. Go away. Or like, you know, a parents or figures like that in your life. It'd be really hard for them. When did you tell people what had been going on before you published a book? Let me backtrack a little bit because I will say that that's harder for me now when other women come and tell me their story because I want to be like, leave him. (laughs) Like I want to do that. And so, but I have not been in my prayer closet for that person, but that's really hard. And so I don't fault anyone for whatever they would have said to me because it's harder, honestly, to be in this seat, feeling healed and restored because I never would want to give advice either way, because I feel like that, you know, the Bible says, come boldly before a throne of grace and I will give you help. Like I will give you help. And so that's not my place to do that. But it's very hard to hold your tongue, especially when it's someone you love, especially when they're being mistreated, especially when 
I mean, I'm still a normal human being that has temper tantrums and just normal. You know what I mean? Like, that's not right. But why are you doing that? So I will say that I understand that it's harder to be in this place looking out than actually even going through it. And I think that's just one of those weird things that the Holy Spirit just gives you what you need at the time that you need For it. sure. Because that's a bold statement to say it's harder on the other side than it is going through it. It is, yeah. I wasn't expecting that. we would all that. say, I don't think that that would be true, Shauna. We would feel weird about that. But you're, you've done it. You've been and there. sometimes women write me and I have, and if I haven't written you back, sometimes it's because it's hard. Yeah. Because I don't feel like it's my place to give women advice, to stare to go. I mean, that's just such a huge thing. And I couldn't have expected someone else to give me what God gave me. I couldn't have accepted that from anyone except for from his hand. So when did y'all start telling people? Because I mean, we read about you telling people a few here and there, but like family. I'm not saying, I'm not saying I did it the right way. No, I'm just curious. <laughs> but um, it wasn't like some big announcement. Like, honestly, I didn't tell a whole lot of people until we were restored because I thought that it would be better, especially for my family because it was going to be hard enough for them to accept him back without us still struggling. And because honestly, like the whole healing itself was so quick. It was like four or five months and it was literally like I'm working on the book and I'm moving on to other things. Like it wasn't like a season that I'm still healing. This is just taking so long. And it's, you know, some women, somebody wrote and said, you know, my therapist said it takes three to five years to get over something like infidelity. I'm not saying that that's wrong. That just wasn't my experience. So it really wasn't that much longer after but yeah, I did have to kind of accelerate probably more than I normally would have because once you sign a book contract, then you're expected to have a platform and just tell people. And so I literally had like this coming out of the closet blog prepared, like hit send. And then I think I just went away for like 48 hours. I'm like, I'm not checking Facebook. Yeah. I'm not doing anything. But it was one of those things that like God says jump. And it's like, I'm just jumping. And at, th- at this point, like he had already done so much for me, for my marriage and for my family that I'm like, this is nothing. Like this is no thing. And sometimes it's just good to walk away from social media anyways, especially in a time like that. I have some friends who walked through this probably five or six years ago and just recently told some really close family members. And it was hard for them because the family members, they felt as though might expect them to be broken and hurting, but they're like, no, we're so good. We've already been through this. We're healed. So that was a little difficult for them as well. Just feel like, no, we, the five, five years ago, we've been through a lot of healing since then. Now, what about your boys? How old are your boys? And how much of this story do your boys know? And if not, when will you tell them that? Um, Well, if they're watching, they know. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) They were really little when it happened. Um, Now, there is a chapter called Suffer the Children. That If you've read it, you know, my oldest son was aware because Micah sat him down and told him. I forgot about that. I read that forever ago. He said, your mother and I are having problems and, you know, this kind of thing. And I'm like, this is not your mother and I. Like, but I didn't say anything. But, um, But there is a chapter on how I handled that and how I dealt with that. And kind of even how the Lord guided me through that conversation. Now, my kids are the most oblivious kids in the world. And if you know my kids, you know I'm not embellishing at all. My younger two, they just know mommy wrote a book. That's cool. There's no pictures in it. So we're good. <laughs> you know, we kind it? of thing. Yeah. Like I wrote them a story of a pirate and they're like, read us the pirate story. And I was like, okay. Yeah. And my older son, he, I asked him because he's 12 now. So he knows the gist. But he's still pretty sheltered. So, you know, like yeah. stuff like infidelity, it's like still, I it's mean, a it's, big word and yeah, a big, it's, it's a lot of big stuff. Yeah. And so he only knew that we were having problems, but he did know that we were having problems. Um, so I asked him when the book came out, I said, Josiah, are you going to read my book? And he's like, ew, no, ew. And I was like, why? And he said, um, that's an adult book. And I was like, what? And he said, the, I saw the first chapter and it's called The Naked Man. Oh. <laughs> 
So I was like, wait, what kind of book do you think mommy wrote? Yeah, let's <laughs> so talk about I, this. I was like, we no, have no, more no. discussion. I said, when we got engaged, it was, uh, I had to explain what a oh, nude beach, beach was. Yeah. And I told uh-huh. him this, and he, he knows the story. And so I kind of had to back to him, like, oh, geez, like, this is worse than he thought. Like, yeah. I'm worried about this. And he's thinking it's a whole nother thing. You're like, I'd be happy if you just knew the real story. So I said, yeah, exactly. So I said, are you going to read my, my book? And he was like, yeah, no. That's hilarious. <laughs> I, um, are my kids out here? Is my son out here, Catherine? Okay. I, uh, my kids, you know, I have, a, I have a book coming. It's a memoir type. Went through a lot of crazy stuff. And so I keep thinking, I'm going to have to talk to these children before the book comes out. Because, and just sit down and say like, here's some things. Because I would hate to be like, here, read this. Find out about mom. <laughs> I don't think that'd be the best thing to do. Uh, but I was wondering about... Yeah, it is difficult because on their level, I mean, yeah. some of it is like infidelity and, and all that stuff. They know about First Corinthians 13 and they know about, you know, love is patient, love is kind and kind of filtering. And I have to practice with that on them every single day. Oh my gosh. So they Listen, know that. Like the thing I've said the most this summer is, well, a couple of things. Whose trash is this? Whose cup is this? And be kind for the love. Just be kind. Like I'm just saying that all the time. So I need to... I need to plot the whole mantra from 1 Corinthians 13. Also, I don't know if you know this, Jamie. Uh, you probably don't know this, but we um, built a house this summer. Also, we've been building a house for a year. We built a house out of shipping containers. You did not. And we've done it ourselves. Like my, you did not. My father-in-law is a contractor. And so at the beginning of this, we thought, well, we took a loan out, like a normal person would take a loan out. And we thought, we have so much money. We're going to hire people to do this. And then we quickly realized, like, we don't have money to do this. <laughs> so we are the crew. So we went from this infidelity stage to writing this book to marriage boot camp, basically like handing each other sheet metal up and down these hot stairs and trying to, that's not like a typical blueprint of the house. And so my kids have been, they sat there, you know, when the cranes came and like lifted the giant containers down. Okay. I, I'm going to yeah, need so to stop for a second. You're building a house out of, out of shipping. We, I mean, this is in. like a thing. Mm-hmm. People do this and all. I mean, I've seen this a lot. Mm-hmm. This is a thing here, right? I, I We went to a brewery in Ireland and there was a shipping container inside the brewery and it was like their yeah. kitchen. It's like an open wall probably that yes. they can roll down. Yes. Probably. Yeah. So how many shipping containers? We have three, but let me just say too, like in, in Southern Ohio, like no one's doing this. So like in bigger I cities, would, like people know about this. Like in Austin, it doesn't surprise me. Jen Hatmaker lives here. Yeah. You know what I mean? But like in Southern Ohio, people are like, why are you living in a metal box? Like right. what are you doing? So we've kind of had to just learn everything from scratch. But we have three shipping containers and um, I am going to blog about it eventually when I have more time. <laughs> Are they side by side? So the way that we did it, and you can stack them, you can bury them. You guys know what I'm talking about? Yes. Is anyone here? See, you guys are all like, yes. And my hometown people are like, what? Yes, we know this here. Okay. So it's a giant U. So we have a 40 footer, a 20 okay. footer and a 40 footer. We dug this out and put a basement in, but we didn't bury one. We just poured it. And then on top of the 20 footer this way, part of the U is a loft that we built also. So we didn't stack one. We actually built a loft up. So on the inside is all livable space. So it's not a tiny house. It's just so crazy, quirky, and we. Is your kitchen and living room in the middle one? So yeah, so we cut one of the walls out of Are the shipping container. Are like I am? Okay. I wish I felt like I should have pictures. I know I we need a I'm like trying to show you with my hand, like you guys can see yeah. what I'm talking about with my hand. So um, this shipping container this way is the kitchen. We took a wall out and it's all livable space in there. So it's kitchen, open dining room, and we have this old barn table that we built ourselves. And then there's a two-sided fireplace that we built with stones from the creek. 
And then, um, so now you guys will have to follow my shipping home container journey because I can see you have no idea like what I'm talking about. And so on the other side of that is our living room. I so love this. it's just been such a journey and just so crazy. So all, I said all of that because I was saying like, yes, my kids know, like I'm screaming, like, go outside. We don't have air conditioning yet. I mean, for the longest time, like we are didn't have, it? we are in it now and we finally have running water. But for several months, we, AC? we do now. We just got it two weeks ago. Is it hot like this? It's, it's hotter than Blue Blazes in the upstairs. <laughs> so it's, it's been, it's not as hot as it is here, but it's been okay. pretty hot. Okay, guys, I know you're loving this show, but first I want to thank our sponsors because they make the happy hour possible. You know, when you can't be there, you can trust Rover to keep your dog happy and healthy. Rover is the nation's largest network of five-star pet sitters and dog walkers. They offer access to reviewed, trusted pet sitters and dog walkers for every dog, owner, and lifestyle. And with an easy-to-use iOS and Android apps, you can search, book, favorite, and pay all in one place. Even receive adorable photos, custom updates, and detailed maps of your dog walks including their poos and peas. Not to mention, Rover makes it easy to find a pet sitter that's right for you with verified reviews and free in-person interviews. Plus, every booking is backed by insurance, a reservation guarantee, and Rover even offers 24-7 access to pet care professionals. You all know that we just got a new puppy. Her name is Marfa. And now that we have two dogs in our family, I can say how great this service would be to have just a peace of mind that all was well while we were gone. Guys, right now, you can get $25 off your first booking. Visit rover.com slash happy hour and use the promo code happy hour during checkout. That is rover.com slash happy hour and use promo code happy hour for $25 off your first booking. Let's take care of those puppies, guys. Guys, I also want to thank Third Love for being a fabulous sponsor of the happy hour. When it comes to bra shopping, it's all about finding the right fit for you. Am I right, ladies? There's nothing worse than bra shopping, but here's the thing. There's only one lingerie brand that offers bras in sizes AA through G and half cup sizes. Can we all just say amen about that? This is Third Love. Third Love uses thousands of real women's measurements and super smoothing memory foam to create bras that fit better and feel great. There's a perfect bra for everyone and you can find yours in just seconds by answering a few simple questions from Third Love's Fit Finder. Now you can try one of their best-selling bras for free for 30 days. All you do is pay for shipping up front, and one of Third Love's signature 24-7 bras is on its way to your house. Guys, you can cut the tags off, and you can see how easily a perfect-fitting bra fits into your life. You can wash it, and you can wear it, and you might even forget that you're wearing it. If your Third Love bra isn't your new favorite, you can always return or exchange it for free. Here's what you need to know, guys. Go to thirdlove.com slash Jamie now to find your perfect-fitting bra. Try it for 30 days for free, guys. That's thirdlove.com slash Jamie to try your new favorite bra for free. Thirdlove.com slash Jamie. Okay, guys, here is the rest of my interview with Shauna in my backyard for the July Book Club. Um, okay, so shipping containers, all those kind of things. Okay, someone sent in some questions, and one of them asked, you said a lot changed, and you said a lot changed in Micah. I mean, you call it like your second marriage. Yeah. Kind of. Would you say that you have either physically or emotionally or spiritually any boundaries that are new because of what you guys went through? Boundaries are on your marriage? Um, I don't know if boundaries, uh, let me just say what I'm thinking. So before in our first marriage, as you talked about, we were just like partners and like raising the kids and tending the house and paying for stuff. And it really sucked the joy out of it for us. And so when all of this happened, 
and my husband actually started wanting to spend time with me again, I had to step out of my comfort zone a lot and allow people to help me with the kids so that I could be freed up to do stuff with him. And I don't know why that was so hard for me, but we're actually counseling a couple right now that she is struggling the same way I was. And everyone's like, just get a sitter. What's the big deal? And I'm like, but I know what that feels like because I had severe anxiety about, because I have three kids and they're wonky. So like, it's like putting a lot on someone, ask them to babysit. I don't know why, but does anybody else ever feel anxiety about asking? And so like that was a huge thing in our marriage. And so that might sound like a simple thing, but he was so proud of me when I started booking sitters so we could actually go do stuff. And because we were building a house right after that too, like we didn't have like endless money to go spinning, you know, on dates. And so we would just do free stuff. Do you guys have geocaching here? Like we do geocaching and disc golf and stuff that I hated at first. But like, again, like I had to go out of my comfort zone and like spend that time with him. Another thing that we do now is devotions with the kids at night where we kind of invite the kids on this, you know, journey with us of like chasing after God. Cause I do say, I don't know if I say this in a book or if it's a blog, but I'm talking about how like our kids are going to suffer. Whether Hopefully it's not infidelity or something like that, but in life kids suffer. And I want them to know that when bad things happen, like we don't crumble. We have, we, you know where to go. Just like me, even though I was lukewarm in my life, when my marriage crumbled, I knew where to turn and that was to God. And I want my kids to know that too. So, so we do like a family night together in the evenings too. So I don't know if it's necessarily boundaries, but life definitely does get super busy where we catch ourselves and have to like reprioritize like, okay, especially with the book and the house and him working nights and all of these things, like to make sure that that's a constant priority. Yeah. No, I like how you said like getting sitters and going out. You probably, I don't know if Micah voiced it to you. If you just realized this is a value to me, I want to spend time with my wife and not just with the kids. And so I think sometimes it does take us going as women, you know, in a marriage, how, how can I, and that's serving Micah, you know, like he wants that time and you love it too when you're there, you know, it's just getting past the anxiety of leaving the kids and all those kind of things. I always, I'm a huge fan of date nights, huge. Yeah. Like when I was a stay at home mom and my kids were all really little, it literally was like a lifeboat. Like I know at the end of Friday or Tuesday, whatever day it was that I'm going to get to go out and be like a wife and not just a mom. That was a really big deal to me. Huge deal. And so I get that. It's and I'll hard. share this too, just because it's really cool. But, um, So at the time that he finally agreed to go to marriage counseling when we were still struggling, it was with his half-sister Shannon and her husband, Don, um, and they're in the book. But my grandma called me out of the blue and she said, I really want to start picking the kids up once a week for you guys. And I had no clue and didn't find out for like a whole nother solid year what was going on. So every night once a week, like we would go over there and go to counseling and she never knew it. But I just felt like that was just the Lord providing for us that. That's really cool. Yeah. And who wants friends like Jan and Shannon from the book, right? They were so amazing. What a blessing. I mean, they brought truth to you all the time. They literally brought you truth and then let you just hear from God. I think that was really cool because you talked about that earlier about how it's hard for you to give advice, you know, to other women because you don't know what, you're you're not their advice giver. You don't know their places. Yeah, and I felt like I had to be careful when I wrote about that in the book because it's technically his side of the family. So I didn't want the reader to think like, well, they're just telling her to stay with her husband because it's their, because what they did for me was, okay, we don't know what God told you because we didn't listen to him for you. But if God said to do that, like you better obey him. And they had, you know, urgency, like I was feeling it, which was amazing. Like I'd never really had that before where someone was like urgent with me. Like if God said that to you, you better do it, Missy, you know, and kind of keep me in my place. Like, cause you know how sometimes like I'll emerge from my my prayer closet, like God spoke that to me and I'm going to do that. And then the next day I'm like, was that just tacos? I don't know. Like, you know what I mean? And so they were just there to encourage me and like, no, that was, you know, if the Lord told you to do that, you know, then you need to do it. 
and they didn't want to hear my excuses. And it was- I super loved every time you talked about them. Every time. We should have brought them in with you. They should have come to Austin with They're us. They're probably watching like, yeah, you should know. You're like, yeah, we're awesome. Yeah. Yes, thanks for writing about me. Um, did Micah read this before you published it? So he did in chunks. And then um, at the final, because it's edited in stages, and there was a lot of stuff that I had to take out because they they initially told me I didn't have that much about Micah in there. And they're like, we understand it's your story, but people want to know about Micah. So obviously, like, he has to prove that. Like, I can't just write his story. And so I would be like, okay, you need to check this. He's like, it's good, babe. You're, you're awesome. It's great. And I'm like, no, you need to approve this. So he had read it all in chunks. And he never actually read it from like start to finish. And I don't even think that he even approved all the chunks. And so it was actually like released and he finally read it in its entirety. So that's some trust. Did he give you a thumbs up? Yes, he did. Okay, But I said, if if you don't, that's your... too late. We told you, you should have read this. Because once they sign on the line... That's it. Then it's no going back. Someone sent me a question, asked if you have any more books in the pipeline. Um, I'm going to tell you that I don't know. Is that true? Yeah, I think so. Um... As actually, my friend, my new friend, Catherine, she kind of got an earful yesterday. So I feel like I got some clarity on some things because I was seeking the Lord even for this trip. Like I often, I don't often not have kids. And so I was like, God, like, you know, when you're birthing a book, it's like, that's my whole life has been, you know, the kids, this book in the house, mostly this book right now. And so I haven't even like been able to even think beyond it until now. Like it's been released for a little bit over a month. And I'm, I feel like I'm just now alone with my thoughts. So I hope, my hope is that the book does well enough that I can do this again. It would be awesome. I mean, it's been an awesome experience. Tell us what you're thinking. We'll tell you if you think it'll be a good book. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And Catherine, you zip it also. (laughs) We'll bring Catherine up here. She'll tell us all the things. Someone actually sent this question in and they were asking me, they're like, Jamie, when you read this book, did it make you like scary? Because I think I've said before, like one of my greatest fears is Aaron cheating on me. Um, And it didn't. I don't know about you guys. If you were married or single and you read if it was scary, I'm seeing a bunch of nose head shakes. It wasn't scary for me. Like, and that was what I worried about too with picking the book. I was like, God, is this going to be like, you know. And I appreciate that you gave this book a platform, you know, someone like you who says like, okay, it wasn't scary that because I feel like even like, even though the the cover of the book, like they did an amazing job, but one woman's courageous journey to save her marriage, like that can sound like a very heavy and scary topic. There's books that I have on my wish list that I haven't ordered yet because I'm afraid to face those subjects. And so I appreciate what you're saying that, you know, okay, it's not scary. It's not like that. It's not, I mean, and I know that it's intense. I have had reviewers say, okay, that was intense. Like really intense is, do you read reviews? This is stressing Um, me out. I read them and then I stop reading them. So like I'll read them and then, then I'll be like, this is not healthy. Close the computer. You do close it? Sometimes I do, yeah. Okay, good for you. I haven't really gotten I'm so nervous a whole lot that. of negative feedback. Um, I was expecting a lot more, actually. But I do try to also walk away just because... I, I am not going to handle that well. I'll just let y'all know now. I'll be in scary, a corner in a fetal position crying. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to And especially it well. when it's like your personal life. Like you wrote a memoir, so you know. Like, yeah. And people can... You can... Okay, I think blogging helps, you know, because I'm used to criticism with my vlogs. I've received more from my blogs than the book only because like, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the internet, but I could say, oh man, the sky is so pretty tonight. It's blue. And they're like, why do you hate purple? You know? And so I'm just because kind of- you can of, say anything on yeah. behind a computer screen and you're not looking at the person so face to face. So I kind of like, this whole book journey has been amazing, but then it, when it was time to release, it was kind of like, oh gosh, people can interpret what ever they want. So this warm reception has been kind of a relief, but also it's still new. So I'm still waiting for yeah, the, yeah. for the crazy. Somebody but, will. 
I mean, let's just be honest. Somebody's kind of come out and say that you're a terrible woman for staying or terrible woman, whatever. Yeah, I mean, for those. they will. They, mm-hmm. they totally will. So I'm going to go back to this because this is a little heavy. But you quoted one of my favorite verses in here. And I'll read it for us all. Are you ready? It's just from Romans. You could open your Bible as well. It says, but look at what suffering produces. This is, my, this is like really one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. It says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings which the verse that I was reading said, rejoice in our sufferings uh, because we know that suffering produces, mine says endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame. And it's one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible because we live in a really, really hard world. Like we live in a really broken world. No doubt somebody here tonight, somebody watching you, me, somebody is enduring a lot of suffering right now. And this is like the hope that Jesus gives us is that our suffering is not in vain. And I appreciated you talking about that in here because you talked about the story of Joseph. And it's a great story in the Bible, if you're not familiar with it, about how everything that Joseph goes through, I mean, such horrible, horrible sufferings. And he says, you know, what for man intended for evil, God intended for good. And it's just this way as humans that we can trust God with our sufferings. Is this something you learned in the suffering or is this something that you were standing on steady and it held you through? Okay, so one of my very favorite books of all time is The Hiding Place by Corey Ten Boom. And I read that as a young girl. And I think that, and this sounds crazy, so I don't even know if I should say this out loud, especially live, but there was a part of me when my husband, like, you know, asked me for a divorce, I was kind of like, okay, it's my turn now. Like, am I going to crumble? Am I going to do this? And it was kind of like, this is an opportunity that God has given me just because I had really a good life. You know, I didn't face a lot of adversity and it's easy to be a faithful Christian when everything's going great. And there was a part of me that was like, okay, put me in coach. I'm ready. And there's just that part of me, like, finally, like I get a chance to, is God real or not? Honestly, you know, because it's one thing to read the Bible when everything's going good, but it's in these opportunities that we get, um, like that you're talking about to produce character, but has anybody read The Hiding Place? By Corey Ten Boom. So there's this, um, which, okay, so let me back up for everybody who hasn't. She is not Jewish, but her family hosted um, Jewish people in their workshop. And so they had Jews. And so they, her whole family got sent to concentration camps. And most of her family died in the concentration camps. And she watched her sister be beaten to death. And this is a woman who survived the Holocaust. And at the end of it all, ended up writing books served God her whole life. Um, actually, I just did an interview at the 700 Club and I posed by her picture on the wall because I was like, this is my best friend, Corey Tindin. Like, Because what a legacy. And that was through suffering. Like here I am in 2017, like, oh my goodness, like this woman. And one thing that sticks out to me in her book was she would preach Jesus to these people. Not, I don't think like preaching, like how we think of preaching Jesus now, but in the concentration camp, she would talk to people and they would smuggle in Bibles. And one day there was like a lice or a flea infestation in one of the camps. And so she would go in this room and all the people, all the inmates are like, oh, this is awful. And she was like, this is amazing because she could go in there and talk to people about Jesus and the guards would leave them alone because they didn't want to go in there and get fleas. And I remember even as a young girl thinking like, this is a woman who just watched her family be murdered. Like, everything that she had, she has nothing. She's not even eating today. And she's thanking God for fleas. Like she's thanking God for fleas. Like, and that is the kind of, that's the faith that I want to follow. Like to follow a God that can give hope in a situation like that, where we can, the Bible says, be joyful always, rejoice always, give thanks and everything. And so I've had this good background, I guess, maybe sound doctrine, if you will, about suffering through books like that, 
and even through the Bible, I mean, the Christians in the Bible, like they weren't playing around. Like Paul's journey was really rough, like shipwrecked and flogged and beaten. In jail. In jail. And, you know, he's writing some of the most powerful writings, even to this day, people read them more than any books. And he wrote that in jail, you know, mm-hmm. not knowing if he was going to get out or not. And yeah. so I think that especially as American Christians, we are so conditioned to like, God's going to bless me, which he does. He does sometimes bless you. But also sometimes like, are we going to be faithful in the suffering and rejoice because of the fleas? Like that still blows my mind. Yeah. But it's what God did because of that suffering. Like I, that's what I always think is I want us to be Christ followers and believers who just what like Corey said, and just like how you displayed um, in fighting for your marriage of it is within that suffering that God has so much in store for you. And without that, I'm not going to speak for you, but I get this from on your writing. Without the suffering that you went through, A, you wouldn't be the woman that you are and B, your marriage would not be what it is. Am I speaking truth? Yeah. And I think that I'll even say one even more than that because one of my kids deals with bullying at school and there's a part of me that's like, good, you need to learn how to face adversity, you know, because, and I know that that sounds crazy. And so don't twist what I'm saying. Like, I'm not saying I'm so glad that he's picked on, but they need to start that now while they're in my home and while I can teach them and like learning, like we need to deal with adversity. And I think that in our culture, like we just don't deal well with it. And I just want my kids to know, like to start learning and start training now. And that's why I'm glad that I read books like The Hiding Place when I was like 14 years old, you know? It's so good. If you haven't read it, please read it. It's so good. It's like worth reading in August after you read Steal Away Home. Okay, does anyone have any questions before we go on? Yes. She's asking, looking back, do you see any chances or opportunities or things that maybe God was impressing on you to change before Micah came out with this? I would say yes. So even though like we benefit from suffering, if that's the right word to use, I don't think that you necessarily have to go what I went through to chase the Lord. Unfortunately, I just didn't. And I do think that there were nights and seasons where he would call me. And I, what was scary, I think you even just read this, even during this talk was that I had grown satisfied apart, just as my husband had grown satisfied apart from me, I had grown satisfied apart from the Lord. Like I was binge watching Netflix. I was watching Mad Men in <laughs> my marriage. I was like staying till, up till like three in the morning. Like I just wanted to be entertained. Like I wasn't chasing the Lord. I wasn't actively doing anything for him. Uh, My heart wasn't chasing him. And so there definitely were seasons where I felt him calling, but I just buried it. And I think that the more for me, like the more I buried it, the harder it was to hear him. And so I think that, I don't think that that had to happen for me to, you know, give my heart back to serve the Lord. That's why I love stories so much because I can write this, my story down and, you know, other people can write their stories down and it can be a wake up call to other people without you actually having to go through it yourself. Like I listened to, you know, I talked about Christine Kane, like I listened to her talking and I'm like, that's infectious. Like I want that, you know, to just kind of ignite this passion to chase after the Lord. So I don't think you necessarily have to go through hard things, but unfortunately a lot of us do, like a lot of us wait until we're completely desperate like I did, but you definitely don't have to be. So anybody else have another question? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Good question. The first one is how do you day to day, week to week, prioritize your marriage? And the second one is you're an entrepreneur and you bake and you listen to worship music while you bake. And the happy hour. And the happy too. hour. I like that. <laughs> How did that get started and what do you want to do with it? Your business? Um, so let me answer the first question. How do I prioritize? Because we are going through a lot. Well, like we're just in this busy season. I keep saying that, but like, I guess when you have kids, like every season is busy. <laughs> like we just came out of soccer and like just everything. We're getting ready to go into um, track and field and all that. One of the things, and Shannon, we've talked about Shannon tonight and her husband, John, like that they have just, beyond just helping us in our situation, like they have modeled for us what a Christian marriage looks like as far as 
they open up their home weekly and they, you know, some churches have like life groups and that kind of thing. Like we actually started one, I want to say even accidentally, like just organically, it wasn't even part of our church, but like we had people come in that we just kind of started doing life with them. And so, and it just happened to be like the same week Aunt Jan had come over and organized my living room because we had like chop saw sitting around and like, like just stuff everywhere, like construct. And I was just living in a construction zone. Which that will make you go mad. And it makes, and it makes, I said, this is harder than the affair. Like yeah, it's it, just it will crazy. Make you go mad. Yes. And so Aunt Jan came, she's like, we can take a lot of this stuff out. And she like made me this little haven of a living room, even in the middle of all of that, you know, construction stuff. And so um, that week we had two couples come to us and I was like, you know what? I have a living room. So come to the living room and we're just going to start doing life together. And it's been such a blessing. But also like before, like I wouldn't have considered that like a date night or whatever. And um, you still need separate date nights. That's not what I'm saying. But Shannon and John, like one of the things that I've noticed with them is they keep taking on more couples and I feel protective over her. So I want to be like, Shannon, stop, <laughs> like, stop helping them. Like, you guys need to prioritize yourself. And she says, yes, but like, we fall in love more with each other as we're working for a common cause of Christ and like working for his glory. Like we have purpose in our marriage because we are working for the Lord together. And I think that this book has been an avenue to do that. Like, that's why I think Micah has been so willing to even help promote it to, you know, and it's expensive to publish if you don't know what you're doing because you have to hire people who know what they're doing. And, you know, like it's, we're on board together because we have this purpose that actually brings us closer, even though we're not necessarily putting each other first. Does that make sense? Because we're working together. And this house definitely, like I've called that marriage boot camp, And it's been fine. Like it's been, it's just been a long journey. Yeah. Okay. What about your baking? The baking, I've had to step back from a little bit. Like I still do it intermittently, but that was kind of the, perks of, I guess, working for myself, I can take on as much or as little as needed. And I've needed to back off from that because I don't want to give the impression that I do everything because you do have to say no to some things. So I still do it. I just did a big order right before I came. But I think it is important. Like for me, like, I don't know how fancy my life looks right now because it's right in the middle of book launch, but on a day-to-day basis, like it's, it's my family, you know, but even in saying that, like, I think it's important that you know, as I've said, like we open up our home to people that we chase God, not just in our words, but in our deeds. And it's important for me that our kids see us serving him too. And being an example, I want them to see God coming through for us so that they'll have confidence that God will come through for me, you know? Yeah. Love it. You know that. Yeah. Okay. Last thing. And then we're going to, um, be done. Oh, I didn't tell you what I was going to ask you about three things you're loving. Can you come up on the fly? Three things you're loving. I know. I'm so sorry. Well, can we say your leather pants? Listen, you guys, I, let me explain my leather pants because I've gotten some, and Shannon hates these. Who owns leather pants? Now, there's not a full. These two cool hip girls in the front. Exactly, right? They're the coolest girls here. No, like they're not full on leather. So it's like a, it's like a person afraid, probably. It's like, I'm afraid of commitment. So it's kind of leather and not leather also. But um, I put on some weight and it. I feel like it, it covers that in this whole house thing. But also because I freeze in winter because of the air conditioning, like everywhere, like the airport, like but you freeze in the summer. So cold. I freeze. Did I say winter? Yeah. Well, yeah, everyone. It's okay. Free, yeah. yeah. I freeze-, freeze in the summer because of the air conditioning. So I usually dress for winter in the summer or like I'll dress in layers and take stuff up because I'm a big baby, basically. I, I, every time I see leather pants, and I don't own leather pants, but I would—I actually would like to. Who doesn't own leather pants, but deep inside wishes they did? Yeah, raise your hand high. We know it. What does that say about us? We like want to be edgy, but we can't. I think if I showed up with leather pants on a date for Aaron, 
I think you would like it. I think you would like it. Okay, so come um, on. Do you know you know Jenny Randall, right? No. Okay, so Jenny oh, Randall. Oh, Jenny Randall. Jenny Randall. I you yeah. said Jenny. Yeah, Jenny's been on my show. I've been looking at her. She has a, jur- a journal out. Um, it's like Thirty One Day Create. Yes, I have. And it. I like that. It's so cute. I've been liking just. Um, Especially when you come out of like feeling like you're writing all this stuff. Like, and sometimes I just feel, I don't know, like it's just good to feel like you can be creative and not just be pigeonholed. Like I for sure don't want to forever be the affair girl. You know what I mean? It's like, there's other creative juices here besides just being the affair girl. Yeah. So Jenny, if you're watching, I do like that. Thanks, Jenny. And of course, let's see, the podcast that I'm obsessed with right now is Bethel. You guys, Chris Felton. What other podcasts do you listen to? Um, I've... See, I've not been listening to a lot of podcasts other than them other right than now. Other than the happy hour. <laughs> other than the happy hour. And I haven't even checked out Jen Hatmakers, my other best friend, uh-huh, yes. who's probably watching <laughs> right now. Because um, cause I, I gave her a book, so she's probably reading it. Yes, yes. But I need to catch up on stuff. But see, we just got internet not long ago in our house. So oh, I feel like containers. I have an excuse because we've just been off grid for a while, which I do recommend, like, especially like releasing a memoir. I think it's been super healthy to have like something else to do besides, like you said, like stalking what everyone yeah. is saying. Like, that's not good. No, it's not. It's good to take space from the internet worlds. Okay, Shauna, thank you so very much for coming. Y'all give Shauna a grand applause. Thank you for having me. Thank you. All right, friends, I told you that was so much fun. I hope that some of you get to come to the August Book Club for sure. And I'm sure that some of you that are listening are coming to the Happy Hour Live event in September. We are literally a month away and we are so excited around here. Guys, I had so much fun chatting with Shauna. She was so sweet. It was so great to have her in my backyard. She's inspired me to go find some leather or pleather leggings because she had them on and poor girl, we made her sweat in the backyard. She was so sweet and even brought me gifts straight from Ohio. If you haven't gotten her book, head on over to jamieivy.com slash store to get your copy. Guys, today's show was edited by Chris with Podshaper and the music is from Jason Poe. Next week, my guest is Latoria Wilson and I have been waiting forever for you to hear this interview. Literally, I cannot wait until every single one of you put your earbuds in and listen to LaTori and I have a conversation. I met her this spring when I was up at the Sparrow Conference in Dallas. We have some mutual friends that introduced us. She's a rapper. She lives in Dallas. And we just had one of the most beautiful conversations I've had in a really long time. After we talked in our interview, she sent my daughter's story, a CD of hers. And I kid you not, my daughter listens to LaTori rap every single day. Guys, enjoy your week. Share the show with a girlfriend. Have a happy hour with a friend. And I will see you all right back here next week with Latoria Wilson on the happy hour.